Hey, what's up, dude? Daddy heart daddy daddy heart schools with home. Daddy ha daddy homeschools with heart here. Daddy homeschools here with heart. Daddy homeschools here. Solo. Daddy homeschools here. <laughs> daddy daddy heart daddy homeschools here. Solo solo homeschooling with heart. I think I need to work on my intro. <laughs> I think I need to work on my intros. <laughs> so my three-year-old was like. <laughs> It's like I start off with a um a comedy set, but these just I just they're so precious I need to share it with you. My three year old said, "My my uh, ex part partner, his mother was tucking him into the car, putting his seatbelt on, um for me to take him back home for to go to bed, and um he said to her, uh, my other dad.'" And she was like, what? He was like, my my other dad. Um, and, and she was like, what's your other dad's name? We were all looking a bit concerned and confused. And he said, and he looked around and he squinted his eyes and he looked up at the car light and he said, Lighty. Lighty, my other dad, Lighty. Uh, he's called Lighty because he likes lights. Um, Lighty is my boyfriend. And and I think it's because we're all saying like I I I have a friend who's a boy and I have a friend who's a girl and he just he's heard the word boyfriend around so he just said Lighty's my boyfriend and um, his other dad and he said my other dad um likes to play um um snakes um snakes and dogs and ladders which is which is like snakes and ladders but uh but you have to play it on the uh, you have to play it over from the oven and then and 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 lighty and lighty plays he then and then he played with me snakes and dogs and ladders and fish which which you are which you are playing on the stairs it's to be played on the stairs he said so snakes and dogs and ladders and then snakes and dogs and ladders and fish is to be played on the stairs and his his other dad's brother he said my other dad he has a brother my other dad's brother is called um fighty because he likes because he always likes fighting a ceiling he always likes fighting a ceiling and he used to call it <laughs> and and snakes and dogs and ladders he used to call that he used to call that he used to call it mums and ladders and he also play and he and he also used to play <laughs> he also used to play snakes and <laughs> he used to <laughs> he used to play <laughs> he used to play snakes and lumps <laughs> I don't know what he was trying to say. But he just said, uh, "And and and Fighty, who's my other dad's, who's called that because he likes fighting the ceiling, and is my other dad's brother, likes snakes and mlumps. What's mlumps? M L U M P S. Don't know. Uh, please phone in if you know. Phone in at oh eight seven. Thank you." 
I wanted to share with you today one of the events in my life, one of the moments that really shaped the way I think about education. Uh, the, the most formative moments where I had an epiphany and <clears throat> it changed the way I thought about things. Um, I had a student, um, we'll call him James. And James was on the spectrum of, I think, Asperger's. He had a um, cocktail of, I don't know the all the specialized names, but there was a long list of special needs um, that he had. And I never found it very, it's not, it's not that I have a philosophical or educationalist aversion to, to um, diagnoses. Um, I know people very close to me who have helped it's that's helped their life. They didn't know they were autistic. Um, and it caused problems that they didn't understand. And then they got a diagnosis and it really helped them out to understand themselves through that lens and give them themselves a bit of grace. I get that, but I didn't know what to do with all of these things. And I feel like all these names for the, for James, um, global learning disorder or something. Maybe if I understood psychology a bit more, I'd, it would help me a bit more, but um, I read up on it and it's still, I mean, anyway, so he had, uh, he, he had these things and he was very, and the, the other educators around me were really struggling with him. They were, tr they were, and this is going to come very close to, to seeming partisan or, or almost political or something, but they seemed like they were addressing the, his autism rather than seeing him. Um, and again, I think autism can be a good descriptor, but they were seeing, it seemed like they didn't even think he was a boy. They thought he was an autistic thing, an autist. Um, and it, he clearly had, he clearly was not connecting with them and not doing what they wanted him to do. He was resisting them and they thought he was just being either belligerent or stupid. Of course, they wouldn't say stupid because not because they didn't believe it, but because um, you, you, they knew how offensive and untoward that would be to, to call him stupid. But they did. They, they thought this is not this. I'm trying my best. And this this boy is resisting everything I'm giving him. He's not doing any of his work. He's not giving eye contact. He's not reading aloud. I, I, and I pretty much followed the guidelines I was given for how to deal with this boy. Um, and I slapped the same homework on the table for him to do as everyone else did. He was mostly non-verbal. He wouldn't, he wouldn't talk to me. And that was one of the things that was put on the piece of paper to give to me to understand this boy is it said he was non-verbal, uh, because he wouldn't talk to anyone. Um, I don't know if that came from his father, presumably he talked to his father and mother. Um, but he said, certainly didn't talk to us. And one evening, it was a Friday evening. I was so tired, uh, just 
of work of have of trying to force it down his throat to just please give me something that I can give back to your parents so I can satisfy your parents that I've done something with you today that you I've made you learn something that you you know that I've done my job at you please just do some of my stuff that I need you to do because this is a business <clears throat> and uh, and I was so tired of it that I just I gave up I, there, I, I spent an hour with this boy every time. Usually it was with other kids too. And we would all shuffle around and pretty much the only interaction I'd ever have with him was, uh, oh, are you going to do a bit of this, please, James? And he would say nothing and do nothing and just mash the keyboard and it wouldn't help, you know, nothing would get done. And I thought, well, that's James, isn't it? That's just James. So I'd move on a little bit sniffy at him, a little bit annoyed. And then, but, but this time it was just me and him. And so I tried and tried and tried. Um, no, I didn't. It was only for like five minutes in. I, I, I started five minutes of the thing that I you always had done, which is shoved down the same things down his throat. And, um, but this time I was so tired that I just sat down next to him and gave up and was like, I don't want to do my job today. Simple as that. I, I can't be bothered. So let's just hope that he doesn't <laughs> tell his parents that I did nothing with him. And he moved his cursor on the, on the mouse and did a weird thing with the windows bar. And I went, Oh, and then he did it again. And I went, Oh, and then he did it again, and I went, oh, and then he did it again, just over and over and over. And then a smile crept on his lips, and I thought, maybe the first time he's directly responded to anything I've ever done or said to him. And he moved it again, and I went, oh, and he giggled, and again, and he giggled. And this went on for 15 minutes. <laughs> 15 minutes is a long time to say, oh over and over again but I was starting to realize that if someone wants to play a game like that over so so many times there's something they're getting from it I didn't understand what it was that he was starting to get from it but I just kept on connecting him with him in that little way and then he touched his headphones um against my leg he just took off his headphones and touched the, the my leg with it and i thought oh my goodness he's never gone anywhere near me never looked at me never done anything never acknowledged my existence before um this is i mean even that felt like a, a breakthrough um he he just bashed it slightly on my leg and i said and i feigned pain i said ow ow and he giggled and i did it again and this went on for 40 minutes no kidding 40 minutes i mean if it was if it was 5 minutes in the morning 10 5 minutes of doing something then 10 minutes it was yeah it was probably 30 to 40 minutes um and i 
the way I, <laughs> I had a headache at the end of it because I'd done it so many times. Okay, stay with me, guys. I'm going somewhere interesting <laughs> with all of this. For every moment of our interaction until that point, our whole relationship was defined on by I want something from him and he's there to give me that thing. Um, at least to him. <clears throat> to us, we're trying to help them in some way that we feel is, in some way that we feel works. But to them, we just want them to do something. I just want the student to do the work so I can tell the parents that they've done the work. So because of business, because of the unhumanness, the, me the mechanism of the business, because of the business, it was being depersonalized by I by by my demands that it wasn't really for me that I wanted him to do stuff. It was just for the business because of my anxiety about my client. So in order to pacify my anxieties, my embarrassment about him, this is what he was feeling and to some extent reflects the truth. In order to pacify my anxieties about him, my embarrassment about him, I need I I need him to or I'm demanding him that he do certain things. And that we do not play or do not do anything until those demands are met from you young man. Again, I never said that, you know, we we teachers are, are told to say things in a certain nice childy way, but they oh, they sniff it out. Don't ever think that they can't sniff out behind your silly teacher voice what you really mean doesn't matter what your voice is if you're speaking to them like that doesn't matter what your voice is if they can smell from you that you don't care about them and all you care about is your business and he did and not only was he depersonalized because of the because of his the, the long list of disabilities because of the business that it was mediated through but also because it was a screen uh, that he was doing his work on. So I was looking at the disabilities, I was looking at the business, and I was looking at the screen, all of these things that were not James. A, a business, in other words, a business venture mediated through several layers of stuff on top of it to make it so that I wasn't really a person, I was removing myself as a person, and I wasn't thinking of him as a person. Um, but once I started, but then I gave up my job for a second. I gave up my job for, job for 50 minutes and he started to, to do this little game with me. And what I was signaling with him there is one, that there are reliable cause and effect things that he can participate in too. With a with a business, it's all out of his hands. He doesn't cause anything. I'm just causing him to do what I need him to do. The only control that he can really have in the whole thing is to just refuse. Just refuse to do the work. That's the only measure of control he has. And so he exercises it. But what I was signaling with going, ow, was that there was a simple mechanism, a simple social mechanism that consistently produced an effect that he caused. 
not just me doing stuff to him for my business, but him causing social outcomes. And this is crucial because I was asking him to do something that's a part of the, the ingredients of a relationship. What a relationship is give and take. What I was asking him to do was half of that, which is give to me. Give what I need for the business. And that's a relationship thing. When there's a relationship, you give something up. Either that or you're a prisoner who can, you know, either die and refuse to eat your food or, you know, just live as a as a, a prisoner. It's not a relationship. So he was refusing to eat his food. That was the only last measure of resistance he had. Um, and so i was i was demanding one half of a relationship but not giving anything to him i was causing stuff i was not receiving from him the uh the 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 reciprocated cry for needs to be met i was crying out for my needs to be met but i was not allowing him to give to to express his needs and to have a reliable mechanism where he can express his needs and have them met if he doesn't think that he's going to get his needs met at all ever and it's only about my needs then what's the point in giving what's the point in giving this guy this tutor this teacher his needs met if this isn't a relationship it's only half a relationship. It's not a relationship. <laughs> I'll say that again. If it's only half a relationship, it's not a relationship. And if it's not a relationship, why would he give anything to you? Why would James give anything to me if it's not a relationship? You can't have your cake and eat it. So, it. I was suggesting to him in this game where I kind of relinquished myself, relinquished my control over him, I was suggesting to him that with these activities that I was that I was inviting him into a relationship where I can please him and serve him and help him but th- but this is so so crucial it wasn't I wasn't doing 50 minutes of play with him so that then he would work for the last 10 minutes I was simply playing with him because I liked it. And that was the truth. I liked seeing the smile on his face. That's it. Education, tutoring, money, relationship with his parents had all gone because I was so tired. And he knew it. He knew he wasn't being used anymore. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm gonna cry. Stop crying. Um he knew he was not gonna get used anymore. And so what did he do for the last ten minutes? He gave back to me by doing the read alouds and he read very well. Nobody knew he could talk from the staff. But he read aloud very well and very competently to me for that ten minutes. 
I was never allowed to do that again, so we never again heard his reading aloud. That was the only 10 minutes of reading aloud I ever heard from him. But it was a result of 50 minutes of really actually just connecting with him for the sheer pleasure of connecting with him as another human being. Not feigned, not feigned business transaction, not a veiled business transaction. It was really, really friendly love. It was giving up myself, giving up my, um, giving up all my priorities for him. And he looked at me in the eye for the first time as well. It, it, I was signaling to him not only that he wasn't there just to placate me and placate his parents and placate the business. He was there. I, I, I was signaling to him that the the rules of relation the relationship can be trusted and relied upon, and that this is a cooperative venture we're doing together. the The pathways of give and take were being constructed through that play, that fifty minutes of play. Relationship first, learning grew out of their relationship. Um, the 50 minutes of wasted time were not 50 minutes of wasted time. They weren't. They produced more reading aloud than I had ever encountered from him. Please think of that next time you f that, that they your kids are just crying out to do uh have put classical music on and and um do imagination dances in the dark and you really needed to get that last page of maths done but they really needed something too and you waste a load of time playing around in the dark it's not it's not a waste of time this is a cooperative adventure Cooperative venture and adventure. <laughs> um, I I gave up my needs. Be acting in that fifty minutes as if he was really more important than me, more important than my than my things I needed to do. And then an intercourse of ideas occurred when that 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 pathway of give and take was constructed. In order for my teaching goals to be important for him, there had to be a moment when he really was more important than me. I think this is one reason why the gospel of Jesus unlocks education. This is, you know, God wants us to, to know stuff that you could say that the whole history of redemption is is a big education of God's people. He wants us to know him fully and truly and clearly. So it's a big, it, salvation is, a, is, a, is education, <laughs> to know God. Um, and not in the narrowly defined way that we 
that we would say no, but like a, like you'd know your wife or, or know how to ride your bike or know what it's like to, to taste wonderful wine or uh, as well as no facts and stuff like that, a, a fully rounded education of him. That's what he wants because it brings happiness to know something so good and great. And that's not a trivial connection, by the way, between knowing and happiness. Knowing certain things makes you happy. So certain education really fulfills deep, deep needs. Certain types of education. Um, and so, so this is God's priority. He has, a, he has an agenda that he wanted from us. He wanted us to know him. He wanted to open the eyes of our heart and make us really understand and see him and know the facts and know what it's like to, to, to see him and taste him and fear him. Taste his goodness. Um, and so he's our teacher. And then, okay, how does he go about doing it? Does he come down and just tell us the things and go? The, the apex of his revelatory action, the, the moment when he really showed us most clearly and really taught us most clearly, the moment of education, the, the apex of humanity's education was the cross of Jesus. That's where we really know who God is at the cross of Jesus and his resurrection. And the, what the cross of Jesus is, is if, if God wanted to show us his greatness, majesty, and beauty, why did he come down and get tortured to death in front of his friends? Because in order to receive our educated praise, he had to give himself up to our stupid whims, to our bloodthirst, in order to tell us the things that he wanted to tell us. He first submitted to, be, to, to listen to us and what we had to say. He, he unlocked our ears by listening <laughs> before, he, before we could hear what he had to say. He listened to us. And what did we have to say? Crucify him. And he said, yes, okay, I will die for you according to your priorities according to your warped bloodthirst and if he knew that the moment that he could teach us best was the moment when he gave up his priorities and that we would have to hear our mocking voice in the crowd first we would have to hear myself, we would have to catch myself saying, crucify him and ashamedly hold my hand up to my mouth and say, did I really say that? Crucify him? It had to come out of my mouth and he had to die because of my words. I had to see the malevolence in my voice 
in order for me to stop talking. Then I stopped talking. I gave up. (laughs) Then I gave up in the same way I almost died with him on the cross. And I said, I want to to be with you. I, I will come too to die on the cross with you. I'm so ashamed. Only in that moment could I hear his voice saying, today you will be with me in paradise. So the cross is this moment of crazy intercourse between heaven and earth. And if and if he knew that, if God knew that that was the structure by which he was going to teach us, is to listen to us first, as it were, and that our, what we had to say was, boy, did it demand a lot of him. Boy, did it demand him to, to do violence to himself. To, to do and to take part in activities that really, really seemed ugly and bad and like a, more than a waste of time, that how much more ought I to give up my priorities for 50 minutes for James? And it wasn't bloodthirst that he was asking for, that he was demonstrating, expressing. It was just... <laughs> It was just to be a friend. How much more should I give up my business for 50 minutes for him, for, to be his friend? Let me zoom, zoom out for a minute. I think the gospel and the way that God shows how education works in the cross ought to be a a guiding principle for the way we think about our everyday life with our kids. There's one other detail I forgot to say about the James story is that then in future, whenever I walked past or something, he would bonk my arm or leg with the headphones, with his headphones, and I'd go, oh, and then he would then say a word that was on the screen or something, a a concept to do with the work that he was doing or not doing. And he would, uh, so he would say, triangle, ow, ow, triangle. Um, not that the hour's got anything to do with the triangle, it's on the surface or directly or obviously, it's just that it's like the triangle didn't make any sense without the owl, without the um, relationship, without those back and forth thing that he really, really needed without the idea that I just value him for the sake of him, for just for the sheer pleasure of knowing him. It's like triangles don't make any sense without that. It's like every concept, the concepts just 
floated around in, in the void of the computer until he could pull it out of the computer, push it th through me and out the other end, and then he could take it back and do something with it. It's like... Facts don't make any sense without relationships. It's like education doesn't make any sense without love. It's like nothing makes sense without the cross. Love you guys. No. What are we learning about today? Works of, works of the Lord. The words and works of the Lord. Works of the Lord. Works and truth and justice with him. And how are we going to do it? Working truth and justice with him, exactly. And why? So that all... So Oh. Uh -huh.